If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me on the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you have been listening for a while, welcome back. It is so good to have you all here. Today, we are speaking with one of my oldest college friends who you may know if you are in the eating disorder recovery realm or if you follow speakers on the topic of exercise addiction, you've probably heard of Lindsay Hall, who is an award winning eating disorder and addiction speaker and writer focusing on what she refers to as the topics that need to be talked about but many are scared to admit. Having struggled with the eating disorder cycle for many years, Lindsay has actively been in her coined flexible recovery since 2014 and is the author behind I Haven't Shaved in Six Weeks, a blog written to humanize the stigmas of eating disorders and treatment. Through her published writing, she has had the privilege of speaking around the world on topics such as body dysmorphic disorder, drunk orexia, exercise addiction, orthorexia, and other eating disorder behaviors, and has been featured in publications including Today Show, CBS, Cosmo, Women's Health, TheFix.com, She Knows, Project Heal, NEDA, Shape Magazine, Bustle, Refinery29, New York Post, and more. Her future plans in recovery advocacy are currently focused on owning and converting a van to take it on the road so she can report on treatment centers and eating disorder resources around the country in a dream she's envisioned as recovery on the road. You're going to hear all about our story. We are personal friends long before either one of us were coming out writing about our eating disorder experiences. We were friends. In fact, we were treadmill rivals, seeing who could outrun the other one. So I think if you have been following both of us individually, you're really going to enjoy hearing us come together and speak about these things, plus so much more, including sobriety. Because both of us, I've been intrigued by it, and she has been actively experimenting with it. So I think you're going to get a lot to out of this episode while keeping in mind everything all approaches should be with one that is flexible let's be flexible in our approaches to life the black and white way of thinking got us into trouble it's not going to be the thing that gets us out of trouble what we need is more flexibility self-love encouragement and compassion before we do that i want to read the review of the week and this comes from aaron peterson she says authentic af with five stars Maddie is like having a hilariously honest best friend and confidant in your ear. She's a knife of truth cutting through noise in the spiritual transformation self-help space to give listeners actionable pearls of wisdom they can practice immediately. With her intuitive interview style, she has a knack for taking the sometimes complex and nuanced spiritual philosophical teachings of her guests and distilling them into an engaging entertaining and educational conversation as a seeker i love the diversity of topics and guests and i frequently refer to past episodes for a quick download when a subject in this domain comes up in my life or newly sparks my interest whether i'm looking for inspiration feeling untethered, or just find myself a little low on good old-fashioned self-love, Maddie's MBM podcast is always the perfect interruption. 
Thank you, Aaron, so much for your sweet words. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. And I am so grateful to know that you come to the show whenever you need the good old-fashioned pick-me-up. It is an honor. It is a pleasure. I'm currently in sunny California, even though when you listen to this interview, you're going to hear that I was in New York. I just got here. Me and my partner have been on the road ourselves, traveling from place to place to place over the past three months. We're here in California for about one week and then we will be off to Denver, Colorado, our home. Well, basically, I mean, I'm from Boulder, but very close by so we can have a little bit of time to gel. I was talking on my Instagram probably about three days ago. So if you follow me there, you heard me have this whole spiel about it. But I wanted to bring this lesson onto my podcast because so many of you resonated with what I was sharing. When I was sharing that, there are certain times in your life where you're going to be shifting your priorities and maybe at some point your priority is going to be around traveling or feeling physically ungrounded. Now on one hand, some people really thrive with being a nomad. They thrive with having very few possessions. I mean, Lindsay here who's coming on the show talks about how she's taking her life on the road in a van. And then there are some people who go from Airbnb to Airbnb or people who couch surf, people who feel really, really, really nourished by having fewer things and traveling around and not having one set home, not having a lease, not having a routine. I am like that for about three months, (laughs) which we're at right now. And during those three months, I take a bit of a break from feeling pressured to create, create, create. Because when I have, if I put it into percentages, about 70% of my brain focused on who am I going to be hanging out with? How am I going to get from here to the subway, to the acro class I want to take, or just the yoga class I want to take? Where do we get groceries? What time's our flight? What time is the bus coming? Like when I have so much of my mind that needs to be thinking about the day-to-day basics, it leaves very little room for creativity to be flowing in, flowing out, circulating. I think that routine creates freedom. I think that routine creates inspiration. I think that when you wake up in the morning and you've got all the little things decided already, they're already on autopilot. You have so much room for the extras to flow in. Creativity, like you know, if we put this into dieting terms, if you're eating the proper amount of calories, your body's going to have a period. You're going to have a flow, right? But if it's so stressed out trying to make sure that it's going to be eating all the calories that it needs, the period is the last thing that it's going to be into tip-top shape and your sex drive is going to be super low because that is an extra. And I think that whenever you're traveling or you're physically ungrounded, like you physically don't have um, a lot of grounding in where you live or in your routine the quote extras like thinking about your next blog post or feeling inspired to work on yourself self-help all that stuff feels like it's minimized a little bit it's not the necessity because 70 percent of your brain needs to be thinking about all those day-to-day decisions that you make and it's a lot of decisions i heard somewhere like by one o'clock you've made a thousand decisions and that might be totally off do not quote me on that but my point is you make a lot of decisions and that's when you just have routine still I don't even know what it's like whenever you don't have that routine like I was saying earlier some people totally thrive on that and they get more inspiration whenever they're physically ungrounded maybe it's how they are or maybe for a certain period of their life they feel that way 
I think I felt that way in Asia. And I think now, though, there is definitely a level of physical groundedness that I need to have. My routine, my rituals, my friendships, my favorite coffee, uh, coffee shop and like those basic day-to-day things in order for the extras to flow in, the inspiration. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this because I want to encourage anybody who is going through some sort of physical ungroundedness in their life to not pressure yourself to also perform at the tip top peak performance level of creativity and inspiration that you once had or once have had because right now maybe your priorities have shifted and the 70% of your brain is going to be going towards where's the grocery store where are we going to be living next what Airbnb do we need to rent out who am I going to hang out with that lives in this city in this city and give yourself some space and some grace if you are not totally on point with the business that you are building right now or feeling really creative in the um, the meetup group that you orchestrate and maybe even give yourself some space to take a little bit of a break if that's what you need and then come back whenever you have that level of physical groundedness that you need. So a lot of people resonated with that on my Instagram and I wanted to bring that here just to give you permission to chill out if you need to take a little bit of a step back to focus on something else and then come back when you're ready and the inspiration is ready to flow in. And don't punish yourself or torture yourself by getting on Instagram and looking at what everybody else is doing in their marketing approaches and in their life and the book that they're writing and the dreams that they're succeeding because maybe right now they have exactly what they need and their level of groundedness in order to let all that creativity and inspiration flow and you do not need to keep up with everybody else. Stay in your lane, my love. Stay in your lane because that is the only lane that matters and that is the lane that's serving you and serving the people that you are touching and your life and your inner circle and your outer circle and no one is going to be touched in the most inspired way if it's coming from a place of pressure and need to inspiration is not a uh, it's, it's not inspiration's job to do everything for you when you need it when you want it so let inspiration be free let it flow to you when it does because I promise you it'll be so much better if it flows freely and it is unattached and it's connected to you rather than it's being pressured and it's being created because you feel the need to keep up with everybody give yourself that space and give yourself that grace all right I think it's time to head on over to this amazing podcast with Lindsay Hall and by the way in case you didn't even notice last week which I'm sure you did even though I didn't even mention it we have new intro and outro music that's right after five years of having the same music I have decided that I have changed so much as a person as a woman as a business owner and it is time that the music changes too to keep up with the energy I want this podcast to share and to give to you and I realized that that music that I had for the past five years it really it really identifies and represents who I was five years ago when I was just coming out of bodybuilding and I was into the dubstep vibe and the slightly harsher energy and now it does not feel good like a switch happened I kid you not a switch happened where I started listening to it and I went "Uh uh-uh no way and um I just listened to it and I knew it was time to pick up some newer vibes and some different energy to prepare you for our juicy conversations on here and put you in the right flow and the right state. So I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to know your thoughts. Does it feel like a better fit for this show? Does it make you feel inspired and feel 
peppy, I guess, so to say, um, please feel free to share your thoughts with me on Instagram or on the show notes for this episode, maddiemoon.com slash Lindsay with an E dash hall. Let's head on over. And welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. You are in New York. How are you enjoying it? Hello. Um, I am loving it. I used to live here for a while. And so, uh, and then as you know, moved to Colorado where you were. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's good to be back. It's been really, really crappy weather the whole weekend, but today's finally beautiful. What brought you here? My best friend, uh, she's getting married next year, and so oh, she, yeah, so she wanted me to come up and go dress shopping with her, and so I just kind of made it a made it a weekend or a few days because I'm in the middle of changing jobs. Oh my god! Okay, there's so much to catch up on. First off, yeah. that sounds wonderful. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. I know um, it is. It's, uh, it's interesting, you know, when you have childhood friends, and then all of a sudden they come out in that white dress. It's like one of those moments uh, that you for kids. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that's so sweet. Okay, so are you are you solo here or did you bring your partner? So I came before him because I didn't really think he would uh, necessarily want to be part of the all-day dress shopping event. Um, so he came up Saturday night and then, yeah, we've just been hanging out. He has some friends in New York and I have friends in New York, so it's been a fun like whirlwind the last few days. I feel like um, there's some catching up to do there. Um, mm. I'm going to like... Mm. Totally go into how we know each other and everything, but we're not quite there yet. Um, So last time I saw you was like a year, a year and a half ago, I would think. Yeah. Has it been a year and a half already? Gosh, time flies. I know, right? Um, And you're doing, you're like going through so many changes, obviously, but I'm super curious how you met your boo. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's pretty funny because the last time I think I saw you, I was dating um, somebody else and and, um, that did not work out for lack of bigger explanation. Wait till off air for that one. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, It was probably never going to work. It's just one of those things you have to kind of learn the hard way. Um, but I, Garrett and I had actually met, we, we met naked in a hot springs, um, which I love getting to tell people that. <laughs> Valley View? Yes, Valley View, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been there. It's amazing. So liberating. God, Wait, I so you it. met there. I thought yes. you like, I thought that was one of y'all's like first fun outings together but that's where you met yeah so I well funny enough so I was with with um, my ex and he was with his ex and we were there just uh you know my ex and I were there because that place is so healing and very very liberating and I'm, I'm now kind of on the uh, associate board committee for their public relations uh, <gasps> Yeah, which is super exciting um, because I just feel like that place has helped me heal a lot with like my body, you know, with body image and things like that. It's like this like total freedom of like nudity. And um, 
And so I, we were there for the weekend and we just happened to like get in one of the hot springs right when my now partner was there with his ex-partner and uh, nothing happened. Of course, we all just like chit-chatted for a while um, and then exchanged numbers. We were going to do a double date. That didn't happen. And then a few months later, Garrett, my partner, reached out to me to ask about some business help for his nonprofit that he runs in Boulder called the Kiva Center. And uh, yeah, so we met up for a business meeting, both realized we were single, and uh, it was it was a business meeting that turned into something else. <laughs> this is one of the best stories I've ever <laughs> heard, because like you would never think that a partner you would end up with would be like in the same hot springs with you, and you're currently with another partner. Like in my mind, I always would assume mm-hmm. that, well, I'm with my partner, so no one else is even going to attempt to like pursue me right. or anything like that. Nothing will come from that. So it's just so divinely timed and orchestrated for you. Yeah, I thought it was. We always think it was too because we were both at the very end of our relationships where I think we were both at a point where, you know, we knew it wasn't going to work out and the other person probably knew it wasn't going to work out. Mm. But yeah, it was just, it's. I've, I've always loved telling that because uh, we were just naked in a hot springs. Is there any better way to meet? <laughs> so when, um, one of the people that I ended up dating probably now a year ago, I was with him for about four months and our third date was Valley View Hot Springs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we like met <laughs> up. We like went to um, Rayback for uh, a beer and sat by the fire. And then our next date, we like went to go get sushi. And then he was like, hey, I really want to go to Valley View hot springs it's like really great time do you want to come and I was like sure and I really did not know what to expect at all right and I didn't tell him that I had never been to a nude hot springs before because I didn't want him to be like are you okay are you okay like checking in on me so I acted like I was professional I just like totally derobed like walked (laughs) around the parking lot naked walked over to the hot springs with them and and then I told him at the very end, I was like, you know, that was my first time. <laughs> I just didn't want to tell you, but you are so right. It's like a really healing place. So anyone listening to this that's never been um, to a nude hot springs, like I would say it's worthy of like booking a, a plane and heading over to Colorado. For totally. That. Oh, I think especially that place in general. And I'm not just saying this because I'm helping them with PR. <laughs> like I, I have found that place incredibly healing and a lot. And it's just the culture there is very, very open and very much trying to give people that kind of like healing space to, to be as you are. And I, I just, I, it's funny that you even say that it was your third date. I actually had a first date there with my part, like my first boyfriend in Colorado, like three and a half years ago. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And same thing. It was my first time to go and we were staying for like the whole weekend, which now I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like I was stuck there with this dude for like an entire weekend. If, and if it wasn't going to work out, it was going to be a very awkward weekend. Um, but it did work out. But yeah, I remember going and like calling my friends and being like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just feel called to go to this place. I love that so much. Okay, so I feel like we should glide into our story. I think mm-hmm. that we have a really like crazy story and people yeah. don't know this because we've never done a podcast before, but we're in the same circle and I'm sure like totally. a lot of people who listen to the show also follow you and all of your writing. So, um, so here I'll share a little bit and then if you want to like fill in the gaps anywhere there then yeah totally love fine. To. any memories that you have or anything but um okay so I went to the University of Arkansas and mm-hmm. I think it was my my freshman year I very quickly met with and Lindsay we already established this me and, and me and Marcus but I met my twin flame <laughs> definitely <laughs> twin flame like if there's ever a thing that was 
that we're twin flames. And oh. um, so I met my twin flame who also ironically like went to the same uh, lived in the same city that I did growing up and was in the same friend circle with my sister but he didn't know I existed I didn't know he existed until my sister told him hey my little sister's going to the same school you go to please watch after her like take care of her and so I met him at a frat house like the first week of college my freshman year and we just had like this instant really strong connection in chemistry and so we ended up um, very quickly falling into relationship and he lived in this one house with these other with these other two roommates and one of the other roommates was best friends with you Lindsay Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you already if you like met Marcus at the same time that you met him but I think you knew him long before right yeah so I met Marcus the first week we always talk about this I met him the you know my best friend died the first week of college or the first couple weeks of college. Um, he had a freak accident and passed away. So when Riley, Marcus's roommate and my best friend, when Riley and I went home, when we came back, they were, you know, Marcus and Riley were in the same fraternity. And I remember sitting outside the Phi Delta Theta house and I was crying because I had just gotten back from dealing with all that pain and trauma at home. And I came home or I came back and Marcus came outside and he sat next to me and didn't really know what to do with me because I was a crying, crying, you know, just sitting there on the stoop. Um, But he and I were instantly friends after that. Mm -hmm. Something about that bonded us forever. So yeah, we were Marcus and I were already pretty good friends by that point. You know, I don't think I I ever knew that. I know we never really talked about it for a long time and then the last few years it started coming out and now it's just kind of our story that we tell whenever people ask how we met. <laughs> wow that's yeah. a really sweet story yeah I don't either I never asked or y'all just didn't talk about it but I didn't I didn't know that so and that's totally Marcus that's really sweet crying it girl was. let me go put my arm <laughs> around here and just sit in silence. Um, it was he was really he didn't know what to say but yeah he was, he, he was kind and I remember from that point forward the three Riley he and I were all really close Hmm. yeah so then eventually I came along and I met you probably there were several parties of course to start with that like we were all like in the same place um but the the crazy thing like where all of this comes into play is that during this time that I was with Marcus and going to all these parties where you're at and like where I'm living in my own little world and you're living in your own world world and like we both have eating disorders we're struggling with. Mm-hmm. And I remember during this time I was like totally I mean I was just eating so little, exercising so much, constantly abusing my body, taking Adderall so that I would do more runs and faster runs, longer runs, drinking alcohol to like (laughs) further my eating disorder. And it sounds like you were doing pretty much the exact same thing. Oh yeah. And you know, and I'll always, I think we've talked about this only really once or twice, but I'll always remember it because when Marcus met you, I, he was, he made it very clear to his friends that you were it for him. You know, like he was in love with you. You were by far his first love. And I, I'm sure you know that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so getting to know you, I knew that you were important at the time. You know, I knew that you would matter in the scheme of, of things in the college world. And I remember feeling like when you, because remember you and I would see each other at the gym. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, it's like you can sense it, right? Like when someone's suffering and like being in that kind of like eating disorder, I always call it the lifestyle, you know, of an eating disorder where you're just like in the cycle. And 
And I knew that you were, and I couldn't put my finger on, you know, exactly what necessarily, but I could tell. And I think there were, may have been parts of you that could have told, could have, yeah. were able to tell too, just by the way we were mentally. But I always remember seeing you at the gym and being jealous of you, of course, like everything felt like competition mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and now I look back at that and kind of have to chuckle because it's just like, I don't, you know, I'm not sure where that all came from, but I definitely remember feeling it. Yeah, I remember this and I think we talked about this as well. There's like a particular time or two where we were running next to each other on the treadmill, like logging uh-huh. our hours just like at the University of Arkansas, like little yeah. gym or there was another gym downtown we would go to and there's like this constant competition between me and you of like how much we could secretly outrun each other. And yeah. then of course there's like the the like the other competition. Like it was so weird because we mm-hmm. knew each other were important. Like you were my partner's best friend and I was your best friend's partner. Yeah. Um, and so like there but there was also like an air of competition between how close we were to this person and then also this fitness obsessive mindset and food and all this. So now I wanna now that we've established the story, which is like so crazy just because I just we're like overlapping in so many different I know, worlds I here. But well, I wanna you know, last thing to say about that though is that Marcus Marcus has since now that he's aware of the struggle that you and I both went through it's it's totally changed his history of of life you know because he was like I always knew there was like competition between you two and he was like and it's only now all these years later that I figure out like so much of it was rooted and y'all were both very competitive about like your eating disorder mm-hmm. kind of mentality and I was like yeah dude I was like did it take you that long to figure that out and he was like no it just makes a lot more sense now it's so funny and like he like brings up examples he's like oh that's what you all we're doing oh my god bless his heart it's pretty funny oh my god yeah I don't think he ever like he didn't know anything I was like all of this was so undercover like all of this and I mean I can't even like there were times when I just like yeah it just like the secret snacking when even he was I was staying at his place and just the constant calorie counting even with him we had cold nights in snowed in in Arkansas and like still tracking everything and needing to get the gym and him just sitting there thinking like oh my gosh she's got so much discipline oh yeah (laughs) yep yep of course that's what he said that's what he always laughs about now is that he was like I just thought I had like the two best girls in the world that were just like super workout queens (laughs) oh my god it was like it was just so motivating I had my like girlfriend and then I had my best friend I was just like this is how all women should be I was like yeah Marcus like (laughs) Yeah, I remember like specifically this one day whenever I think like I joined the gym that you two were working at, working out at, and I was on the treadmill for an hour. And he came over and he was like, mm, "You getting it? You getting it, girl?" Yeah. <laughs> like, in my mindset, I'm like, "This is serious stuff, Marcus. Don't be finding it cute. It's serious." Like I just yeah. had the self righteousness about how, yeah, how much I was yeah. training. <laughs> so funny. Okay, so I want to go into your story and like particularly and. Um, you have a blonde called I Haven't Shaved in Six Weeks. Mm-hmm. Where did this start? And yeah. <laughs> I guess I want to hear your your coming out journey on admitting, like I know there's a cereal box involved, like admitting yep. <laughs> what was going on and how that kind of un- uh, unfolded since then and where you yeah, are now. Totally. Um, it's fun I get to talk about it here, by the way, because I'm like back in New York and New York's really where I started to heal, um, but, and, and started to write, but I had a, you know, I always say when people ask about eating disorders, I kind of had the, I had an eating disorder from the time I was little, um, 
it, it, it wasn't a full flood, you know, it was just the beginnings of one that were starting when I was probably like eight years old. And, um, you know, through through high school, it was developing, but not to the point where I felt like it was unmanageable. Um, when I turned 18 and, my, and Bradley died, my best friend, um, I always write about this, but that was that was pretty much the the jumping off point. I've always felt like I just I was so young. I had never gone through trauma um, and the way he died was very traumatic at the time or still is to this day, but was very traumatic in general as a freak accident. He fell from a tree. And so when I was, you know, dealing with that kind of grief, I always talk about this, but like our culture has this way of, uh, of not letting us express our grief because it's uncomfortable to people that don't understand. So I felt very much, especially growing up in like Fort Worth, Texas, which you're from Texas, so Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can relate. Uh, like there's a, there was kind of this mentality of like, okay, you're allowed to grieve for like X amount of weeks or, or X amount of time, and then nobody wants to hear about it anymore. Um, and after that, shouldn't you be over it or shouldn't you start to quote move on, which I always think is so unfair because I don't think grief has a moving on point. I just think grief has a place of acceptance. Um, but I couldn't handle my grief. I was 18. I was so young and I, I just didn't know how to do it. So I, I threw myself into the gym. Um, that's all I, th- those were my negative coping skills and that's all I had really developed up to that point anyway. So I kind of threw myself into the gym. I, it was my place to like zone out. I didn't have to look at my phone. I didn't have to deal with the pain. And so I, I really think, you know, I always, when I think back in my life, that's really where it started to become more of a lifestyle um, and really started to be in the cycle. And so it was just throughout all of college, I was, you know, drinking heavily, of course, because we were part of sorority fraternities and all that stuff. And uh, I just, it it was just the cycle. It was like every two days it would be one behavior and then it would be another behavior and then it would be this and that. And I, I could never figure out how to uh, how to eat regularly. I couldn't, I, I stopped trusting myself because I think that's what happens. You stop trusting your body completely. And my weight went up and down throughout all four of those years. I was never the same weight for any amount of time because it would, I just lived in this kind of like binging, purging, you know, restricting, et cetera, excessive exercise, all of it. And uh, I kept thinking that like, oh, when I leave college, Oh, I, oh, and on top of that, I got, so my last year of college, I got a DWI. And I always talk about that because I think that was a pretty crucial moment too. When I got a DWI, it was because I had not eaten that day. I had two glasses of wine uh, at a restaurant that I worked at. And I left and yeah, I got arrested. And after that, there was kind of this feeling of like, oh my God, I have to get my life back together. I'm humiliated. I've humiliated my parents. You know, I've humiliated myself, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of dove, I, I dove back into this exercising thing and I was like, okay, I'm going to exercise because if I exercise, you know, it's all that crap about like, oh, I'm self-disciplined and everyone will respect me more and blah, 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 blah. And so I really dove back into that and by, that was the last year of college. And so when I graduated from college, um, I did what most people I feel like in, with eating disorders kind of do where I was like, okay, I'm going to move. And if I move, that'll fix everything. <laughs> Um, I'll move somewhere, you know, it's like the destination, uh, the destination have happiness theory. And so I, I moved to Europe and I was like, well, Europe will change me. Uh, <laughs> and, and it did not, I got progressively worse while I was over in Spain for a year. Um, 
and I was also dealing with a lot of personal issues at that time. So I came back from Spain. I was like, oh, well, that didn't work, so I'll move again. So I moved from Texas again to New York. And I was in New York for about three months where I really started going downhill because I think I started realizing like, oh my God, nothing's going to save me. Like, I don't know. Like, I just wanted somebody else to save me. I did not know how to save myself. And I never felt sick enough. Um, I think it's really hard in our culture because we look at anorexia and eating disorders still to this day very often as a certain body type and as a certain look. And, you know, from what we've seen in the tabloids, and I never really fit that. I was sick, but in my head, just not sick enough. So I didn't, I couldn't ask for help and I didn't know how to ask for help. So finally, at some point, my roommates in New York were like, you know what, you're kind of unmanageable. Because at this point, I'm like hiding food underneath my pillow. I'm like a hot mess. And I am just like, I'm drinking a lot. And so I decided I'd try a therapist. And I'm think I still see this therapist. She is like 83 years old. Uh, my partner and I are going to go see her tomorrow morning. <laughs> um, she's on the Upper West Side. She's awesome. But she was the first person that really said to me, I think you are beyond my my help. I don't think that I can help you um, as you are. You've wow. been, yeah, she just said you've been in this cycle too long. You're too ingrained in it. Like you need to go to full out treatment if you can. So, of course, I ignored that for about another month, and I was like, nope, no, no. <laughs> and I told my parents, like, a little bit that something was going on. I tried to downplay it and act like it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, my parents, thank God for who they are. They're very keen and aware, and I'm pretty sure one of my best friends called them and was like, "She, whatever she's telling you, she's lying. She's not doing well at all. And so when I got back for Thanksgiving that year, that was 2013, my dad was watching me like a hawk, which I did not know. And uh, I binge ate, yeah, it's always my cereal story. I binge ate two boxes of cereal, uh, threw them away in the trash, purged, went to a wedding. And when I came back from the wedding, my dad had those boxes of cereals uh, out on the coffee table. And I will always remember walking into that. And yeah, so from there, that was, that was it. Um, I was ready for help. You know, I wanted the help. I just didn't know how to ask for it. So within like the next three weeks, I was in treatment. And when I went to treatment, I was in uh, Renfrew in Florida for about six weeks for inpatient treatment. Then I did outpatient at Renfrew in Dallas. And I came back to New York after that. And that is where my blog started because I wanted to start a blog on uh, my experience in treatment. I was so scared going in. I couldn't find any kind of resource on the internet that talked about, you know, the experience. I, I found all this like clinician blog post um, and all this BS about like inspirational quotes and stuff like that. But that was not what I was looking for when I was about to head into like treatment and give up my entire life. And I really wanted there to be just one story out there telling me like, no, this is what it's going to be like. You know, what are the women going to be like? Because mine was an all woman facility. And so all women facility. And so I... I just started writing. I just first, it was short stories, and it started this. I haven't shaved in six weeks blog because uh, we weren't allowed to shave because of self harm, and I thought people should know that if they were ever going into treatment because I certainly did not know that when I went in. Jeez, <laughs> mm, oh my god, it's just like <sighs> it's so much, and at the same time, it's so like I find it just so comforting that you're one of the few voices that are saying I'll, I'll say all of it I will share all of yeah. it like even the D um the what did you what is it the what DWI is it? DWI <laughs> yes um even getting that like 
in, in sharing that and being open about that and bringing, bringing your alcohol journey into this as well, because I do not think that is something that is talked about nearly enough. Right. Um, and I am so with you on that. I used alcohol all the time mm-hmm. in order that was so I mostly had like um, I had spurts of anorexia I never really say that I had that full-on anorexia eating disorder but I definitely had spurts of it I would go through periods where I'm like no longer going to eat mm-hmm. I think orthorexia and just the obsessive calorie countingness and an exercise addiction was my main thing but then I would bring in alcohol and that's how I purged it was always with alcohol yep. as long as like and then I could also eat freely because I didn't I it was the only time my brain could finally shut off from the calorie counting. So I would drink yep. and then I could finally eat globs of peanut butter on my fingers like just a mess. Yeah. And I wouldn't really <laughs> worry about it because I'd also throw it up. And like that that actually isn't something I've talked about too much on the show. But since you're here, it's like this is a great time to bring this into the conversation. And I know that you talk a lot now about how you bring in alcohol into your writing mm-hmm. and I'm really curious didn't you like coin a term on this for eating disorders didn't you come up with something you know I talked to um it wasn't me that came up with drunkorexia uh frankly I f- I hate that name <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's not something I would have come up with um but I was one of the first people to really start talking about it outside of medical clinicians mm-hmm. and when drunkorexia this was back in 2015 so it was kind of right after I was out of treatment um and I I learned a lot about it in a quick period of time and then I started realizing like oh man that really relates to my story and it relates to just my life and so I started blogging about drunkorexia and from that quite a few media places um in particular like elite daily and and refinery 29 and kind of some of those women's lifestyle magazines like cosmopolitan and whatnot though they were all interested in it because it was not really being talked about because it's to me different than binge drinking which of course affects our culture but drunkorexia to me was a different thing because to me it was never about blacking out like i never used alcohol to be wasted i used alcohol because same as it as what you just said I couldn't stop calorie counting. And if I had one glass of alcohol, like, you know, before a meal or something like that, then I would feel okay. It would calm me down a little bit, or I just would use it to fill my stomach. I mean, it was just, it was always a manipulation. Everything about it, it was always wine too, mm-hmm. always. And it always has been wine. And it's still something that, as you know, I, I battle about and continue to write about now as I kind of go through a bigger transformation in the last few months. Hey, my love, we are going to be right back to this juicy conversation with Lindsay Hall, but I felt like this was a great time to pop into your ears and let you know about the upcoming retreat I have called the Feminine Surrender. At this retreat, you are going to be surrounded by like-minded sisterhood. You're going to make your own intention-filled mala, have a cacao ceremony and gong sound healing, workshops galore, and learn the beauty of acro yoga as a beginner because everyone will be a beginner. If you are interested in being one of the select 10 women invited to the next retreat, go head on over to maddiemoon.com events and fill out the application and I will be right back to you diving deeper into what you want to gain at the retreat and we will set up a call one-on-one where we slow down, look at your dreams, look at your challenges, and look at what you would want to see come to fruition at a retreat with me. This is not something that you want to miss out on in 2019. So if you are feeling the intuitive yes, the intuitive hit, go head on over maddiemoon.com slash events, apply, and we will speak soon. All right, let's head back. Do you feel that with the college, the typical college lifestyle with 
alcohol being a part of it so much especially in fraternities and sororities it's easier to write off any kind of food problem or disordered eating habit because with alcohol it's like well this is just college life like this is what we do we just drink we sometimes get sick we black out we like eat in the cafeteria and we just eat whatever's available and then we might drink again and just college life like we just you know it's just part of life Absolutely. I think we abuse it. I think women especially. I think men are doing it more and more. There's more and more research coming out about that as well. But, you know, I lived with the same women my entire college life. I love them dearly and we're still very close. But the some of the behavior that we all, you know, normalized in our house, um, I think that we would all now years later go back and and try to you know we would obviously not feel the same way about it but we were always talking about the liquid diet and that was just wine i mean i can't count how many times that we would sit around drinking you know pre-gaming whatever you want to call it before a game or before a football game before a party and we would just be like oh i forgot to eat dinner but it's like did we really forget or were we purposely Mm -hmm. doing it and Mm -hmm. uh, you know i can't answer that for them and i'll never be able to but i can't answer it for me and I definitely was doing it purposely. I knew what I was doing. I didn't want to gain weight, but I wanted to drink and I wanted to socialize. So uh, I cut food because it was easier to cut than alcohol to me at the time. So now, as you just mentioned, over the past, you said three months, you've mm-hmm. been going down a mostly or completely sobriety journey? Mostly. You know, okay. I've never, and this is a interesting This will be, you know, it's always controversial. I just started writing about it on my blog and already I'm getting controversy a little bit about it, which is totally fine and and I expected it. Um, It's hard, you know, I think it's hard. A lot of our culture either looks at it very black and white, like you either are an alcoholic or you're not, period. Um, I don't look at it that way. Totally. I know that's so true. Yeah, and I I don't particularly look at it that way. I don't, I don't, I've never been black and white about it. I can't be that way because I think when when you've lived your whole life black and white, Um, eventually in recovery, you know, I came up with the flexible recovery type mentality of like, it's okay to still, you know, like things happen. Like I still exhibit sometimes a behavior an eating disorder behavior. And the point is to just be aware of it now and to be like, this is not the road that I want to continue to go down. So recorrect. It's always just about recorrecting right to what your, what your norm is or what you want your norm to be and what you, where you're happiest or where you're most content, et cetera. That's my view. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before we go into where we're going now, I just want to touch on that this is so true because I think that black and white not only can that be like the tendency and that's what gets so Mm -hmm. many of us into trouble but also that's what continues to contribute to shame absolutely if if you were like there's black or white alcoholism or not then if you all of a sudden fall into the alcoholism category with all the stigma we have around it in our society automatically Mm -hmm. you're going to be feeling shame and you got to work through that shame and it's the same with recovery like if it's you're recovered or you're not recovered if you're in the not recovered category or closer to it and you automatically get put into that category there's shame because you've been doing all this work it's been three Mm -hmm. years five years Mm -hmm. six years you should be recovered by now all the shoulds so I think Black and white mentalities are the fastest way to go into the should shame. Oh, exactly. And I think it's the fastest way to go into a relapse and really, I mean, you know, because you so often I feel like people relapse and they almost relapse harder than they did when they were originally in the addiction, regardless if it's like the opiate addiction or if it's an eating disorder. And I personally at some point recognized that and I was like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I have definitely sidestepped many times in the last four and a half years that I've been in recovery and I openly write about it. And I've gone through periods of relapse where, you know, I relapse for a month at a time 
uh, that was like two years ago. I had a relapse that lasted about, I would say about six to eight weeks and it was pretty hard. And it was, it was definitely like my parents started intervening and being like, do you need additional help? And I was like, I don't know, but let me figure it out. And eventually, because I refused to have this black and white of like, I'm not recovered, I'm recovered, I still was able to get back to a recovered mindset and, and come back to where I had been and come back even stronger. But that's because I refused to sit there and think that I failed. There is no, I don't believe in failing recovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's hard for people. You know, I, I think it can be very difficult for people to, to, not you know maybe have that kind of slippery slope of relapse and then think well i failed fuck it sorry for the say the effort oh no, that's fine it's welcome here okay good well i scale you know like well i failed screw it and <laughs> and now i'm back i'm gonna go back even harder i mean there's just kind of that i feel like there's that kind of human psyche that plays into it mm-hmm. and i just wanted to i want i want to avoid that because i don't want to live in that anymore because I, I used to spend i don't know if you ever did this did you ever were you aware that you had an eating disorder when you were in it mm, it's so hard to answer because now i'm so aware that i'm like was i like i can't right. i don't think i i think to me it, was, it felt more like a dirty little secret like uh-huh. almost like a sexy dirty little secret like I was just right. like I haven't eaten in four days I haven't eaten in four like you don't know it I know it like I, mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes back also for me and to my my family dynamics of feeling very controlled where I was raised like very 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 conservatively like from Same. the moment I was born it's like this is who you're gonna be you're gonna be a Christian you're gonna be a rule follower you're going to be doing all yep. these certain activities in school you're not gonna hang out with people that um, or act like this, look like this, all this stuff. And so I just felt really stifled from having the friends I wanted to have interested in the things I want to be interested in. And I think like not eating, it, 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 it was a form of control and feeling safe, but then it also goes really deep into like a form of me feeling like I had not just control in my own life, but control over my parents. Like you've taken away from me the ability for me to explore safely and be interested in what I'm interested in. And so I'm going to starve myself to get you back. Yep. Oh my God. You and I, I you and I have always known that we had that parallelism because I, I grew up the exact same way. And the, uh, how, if I, if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to include this in the podcast, but if you don't mind me asking, like how, how have your parents dealt with the way that your lifestyle is now? Today, mm-hmm. they are incredibly accepting. That's nice. Yeah, and thank you for asking that because I think I, sh- I share on this podcast more about like the control and some of the pain points. And I do want to acknowledge them for how far that they've come. And I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's like there's there's probably the part of them that's always going to wish I was a Christian that I didn't talk about sex on Instagram that. I saw that recently and I was like, I, I really applaud, in my head I was applauding you because I've, I've written about sex as well um, and eating disorders and my dad found it, re- this was recently too, my dad found it and uh, he was totally accepting, not happy, but accepting. Right. Uh, my mom didn't speak to me for like two months. She this is this has come up with my writing a lot. It has been very hard for them for it's, me to see, write about some stuff. It's super hard. I think what has happened in my family is that well, my mom does not follow me. She can't follow me on Instagram. I've actually Same. taken yeah, and it's smart. I've taken my family off of Instagram, but like they they just I think they just finally found out you can go to open an incognito. <laughs> like yeah. browser and you can still google it and they'll find it and they can see all of it as long as they're not logged in but they're not on there they're not on my facebook i've taken my all my family off my facebook because it actually breaks their heart and if my grandma reads 
anything about my astrology or she reads about sex or anything, it will break her heart. And mm-hmm. her and my mom like will talk about it and it'll break both their hearts because my mom will have her heart broken if my grandma's heart is broken. It's like all this stuff. So mm-hmm. we just have to like I have to set my boundaries in a way that may- protects my art. Because if yep. I want to talk about sex and all this stuff because it's true to me, I have to make sure that I limit the amount of attacking that's going to come my way. Even if like there was a follower on my show that was saying, like, don't you dare cuss on your show, I would take them off my email list because they're not part of my tribe. So, right. you know, I have to I have to protect them in the way that I can protect myself in the ways that I can. And then mm-hmm. we also have like off topic, like off um, off the table topics like we do not talk about religion or spirituality. We don't talk about astrology. We do not talk about they can they say prayers before every meal and I'm totally cool with it so like we we have figured out what works for us to keep the peace and and they're accepting of me and they have come a long way like I actually can talk about sex with my mom as much as I want and as deep as I want it's just whenever I start talking about it openly Mm -hmm. to the world that she doesn't like totally agree with but she can't see it and she won't see it like so we've just had to find our rhythm and our path yeah, I'm happy for you it's come that far. My parents and I are definitely uh, still working on it because as much as I've asked them to not read my blog, um, I can't necessarily block them from it. Right. <laughs> and and so I'm never really quite sure what mine read. Um, I, do, I have removed mine from social media as well. It's just not worth it to me because if I need to speak my truth, I can't speak it with them in my head. <laughs> And so it's the same for me, but it's definitely hard. The one thing that's been the hardest is sexuality um, because I, I openly now, you know, identify as bisexual. And um, I, I did, I have for a long time since I was 23. And I was very, I could not come out about that until really this year. And finally I got to a point where I was just like, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm done denying that this is part of my life. Good for you. Good yeah, for you. And it was hard. Really, it, I, you know, sometimes it takes like, not having at least for my family like there was a period over this past year where we actually weren't in contact almost at all because I needed some space to like work through some stuff and I think that that space was so excruciating to them like not having me at all like in that way that like now we've just and and same for me it was hard for me as well so now we've finally come together because we'd rather have that than demand each other to show up in the way we want on right. both of our ends and I and it breaks my heart for for you and for I have another friend who's actually gay and he's from my hometown of Rockwall and his his family doesn't accept him and it's just it's really sad and it's really hard I imagine because it does that is out of our control mm-hmm. like we can we can decide for us well I'm gonna accept my family for the way they are but we can't have our parents and our family accept us for the way that we are we can hope and try to manifest it but like there's only so much we can do and then the rest of it is just about sending them love and then also having our boundaries because if you're like your mission and purpose in life right now one of it at least one of them is is this website and blog and being there for women and that's a really 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 big purpose it's way beyond Mm -hmm. your, your family unit it's huge and it's beyond just your own story and experiences it's about changing women's lives because you're one of those only sources that they can turn to and that's a big project and it will take sacrifices yeah and I'm sure yeah I'm sure you feel that it's been a it's an interesting debate that I'm sure we've both had to go through over the last few years of like how much am I you know uh, how much am I willing to 
potentially give up to do this. But at the same time, I've never been happier in my life and also more sure of who I am Mm -hmm. than this last year, especially. And it's because I've chosen to be completely transparent in a lot of ways on issues I never thought I could be transparent about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that to me is so, it's just it's worth all the baggage I suppose that comes with it because I just can't, I can't imagine my life without writing now and without the work that I do and connecting with women all over the world. And I'm sure you feel the same way in a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. And I notice that when I hold back a bit on the bigger topics is when my business kind of starts to feel bland. Just Mm -hmm. like I'm talking about all the same stuff everyone else is talking about, all the same inspirational, motivational stuff. And like, I want to go deeper. And to go deeper, I have to risk pissing some people off or, yeah, irritating some people. So on that note, going back to (laughs) your alcohol story and like the recent speaking on that or writing about that and the controversy, um, let's pick up back there. So what's been going on in that space? Yeah, so about three, yeah, I guess around three months ago at this point, I just had a moment where... Uh, I, I've gone. I went through a sober period of time back in 2015 for about three or four months. Um, really enjoyed it, and then it just kind of kicked off into some. You know, I, I, did, I wasn't anymore. And then in 2000, or and then three months ago, I just I had a moment where I came back from my partner's mom's get together, and she's been sober for about 15 years, and. I came back and I don't really know what triggered it. It was no big climax or anything. I I just started crying and I was like, I don't like the way that I'm living right now. And he was like, okay, what's up? And I was just like, we're drinking all the time and we're drinking for no reason. There's no purpose behind it other than I'm not happy with where my life is right now. I'm very confused on what I want to do moving forward. I think there was a lot of stagnant, you know, stagnant feelings that were going on in my life because I was at a point with the blog I was at a point with everything where I was just like my career because I work in PR nine to five and I was just like what am I even doing what's the purpose of everything that I'm doing you know like I think everyone has those those moments in their life I'm just like I don't know what the hell I'm doing I'm not getting married anytime soon I don't want kids right now but I also don't know what I'm doing in my career and I don't know what I'm doing with my writing it doesn't feel like I'm moving it forward in any certain way so I was like you know, a lot of that. And to me, I looked at the common denominator of that. And I was like, I'm drinking too much. Like I'm having way too much wine way too often. And in turn, I'm starting to notice that every event I go to, I'm, I'm drinking wine. Every time I go out with a friend, I'm drinking wine. Every time I meet out with someone on Instagram, you know, a, a woman th- that reaches out to me that wants to talk about their eating disorder or chit chat or just become friends in real life. I go out with them. We have a glass of wine at happy hour. I mean, I was just starting to notice that it was because it, it, it has been for a long time a part of every single thing that I do. And I don't know that in 2014 when I was talking about, you know, when I was in therapy and I was in rehab for this eating disorder, when they asked me what my recovery would look like, that was not what I wanted. I didn't want my recovery to be that every single time I went out, I was blurring out something or getting moderately tipsy at every single event that I was at. So I just said, I've got to take like a deeper look into this alcohol issue and our culture and the way that we're, the way that we have normalized drinking as though it's like popping a pill, which I also think has been normalized. (laughs) And so I just, yeah, I, I just took a step back. Um, 
the last three months, I've been just very, very acutely aware of my alcohol intake. I have not been completely sober because, again, that is not really what I've wanted to do. I wanted to try what I've called because I always call it flexible recovery. I wanted to try this flexible sobriety. Um, and I've, it's been really nice because I very much have noticed where I when I want to drink more, I'm noticing where the feelings come out of and what, you know, what the discomfort is there that I'm unwilling to sit in any kind of emotional discomfort, which is also not what I really wanted out of recovery. So it's been interesting to kind of reevaluate that. Um, it's been interesting to see what my life has done in the last three months. I got a new job so that I'll now be working a hundred percent remote, which I'm super pumped about Yay. because, yeah, because I want to do van life. Um, I've written about that a lot lately, but I really, really want to try out this van, a converted van and go around the country, uh, visit treatment centers. You know, there's a lot I want to do in the eating disorder world. And I think that if I kind of have this van and I'm able to go around and meet with people and go to treatment facilities and really talk to different nonprofits around the country that are really trying to help spur forward funding for eating disorder recovery, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So move that forward. Uh, I got an opportunity to try out a van and yeah, it's just, I've noticed, you know, my partner and I are arguing less because I am less tipsy <laughs> all the time. There's just a, a numerous amount of things that I'm starting to take very mental note of about sobriety or about not drinking as often or only having one glass of wine and ending it there, period. Or going, you know, five or six days without any alcohol and noticing like how different my appetite is and how much more I'm eating, but also feeling so much stronger. And there's just, it's just been a really fascinating journey so far. When you first wrote about it, I was fascinated and excited because I've I've done periods of time. I think two months was like the longest where I was really serious about no alcohol and I was single mm -hmm. and I think I dated less too. I think mm -hmm. like that's one of the side effects that happened for me is I started dating less and I remember people would reach out to me on dating apps and be like, let's go get a drink and then I'd feel awkward or embarrassed and I'd be like, well, mm -hmm. how about we get coffee? But then I think to myself, but coffee's boring. It's boring when you meet up with like with someone to get coffee. So then I mm -hmm. just wouldn't respond. And so I yep. noticed that I'd become more isolated because that was more comfortable to me to stay inside and not go out than it was to be in this discomfort of not getting a drink on a first date. And I'm, I'm really interested to hear about your experience with your partner since you have stopped drinking or, or as you said, flexible sobriety, which I love. I love that approach. Mm -hmm. And I think like, at least for me, there's always this fear of, well, he, he's not going to enjoy time with me quite as much if I'm not going to be drinking with him. Because right. drinking is a very like... Most, I mean, they say this for a reason. People don't like drinking alone, really. Like, if you go out to dinner with your partner, they, I'm going to get, like, a whiskey, like, sour whiskey or whatever. Like, and, and then when you don't get anything, they're like, Mer. like, I wanted you to drink mm -hmm. with me, you know? And so the reason why I find I consistently keep up with, let's say, my partner's drinking is because I don't want him to do it alone because it to him it's such a special experience to share a yummy cocktail with his girl and I have very similar to you I have had this tug and this feeling to just drink a lot less like um, once a month or something like that like to me I'd actually be absolutely fine with that so how has that worked out for you and your relationship 
it was definitely difficult and it has been difficult over time. Um, there's a norm that starts to occur and he has been nothing but supportive. Um, I think when I kind of had that breakdown on our couch, he was kind of like, okay, yeah. And I, and frankly, I think he has been sensing that I've been very uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, just dissatisfied with where my life has been lately. So I think he was all on board for like, at least me, like exploring what, what is the common denominator that's making me feel, you know, that I'm, that I'm choosing to feel this way every day. And it's because I'm making the same boring choice. And it, it was just becoming boring to me. It was like happy hour was just a given. And the career that I'm in, PR, everyone drinks all the time. So there's always alcohol wherever we're at, whether it's a client event or whether it's just like happy hour with my coworkers. And, and so I was just bored by my life. And so I think he was very, very like supportive of that and exploring like what it would feel like without it. Um, it's been hard, you know, that's where I find it hard though, is that I've never, I, and I would never ask for him not to engage in what he wants. You know, that's not, he's not interested in exploring this. He doesn't feel it's an issue to him and like it was for me. And so he's, he goes on and drinks an IPA or has like a little glass of whiskey before bed or whatever. And I feel like in the beginning, it was more pressure for me to not partake with him um then it was ever for him feeling like i feeling like i wasn't engaging with him i think he was actually totally 100% fine with whatever i wanted to do um if i wanted to order one or not but for me i have constantly still constantly battled that when he wants one i don't i don't i it's like almost like I still have that kind of mentality of like, well, if he's having one, I should have one. Or mm. if he's having one, I deserve one too. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know what that is. And it's something ingrained in our culture. <laughs> you think it's but, part of FOMO? Like you might yes. have some really special experience drinking that IPA. I want that special experience as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And also, I, also, I think it's kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do? If You know what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to just sit here. And I don't, and I have not resolved that. That is definitely still something that I'm like, that I'm constantly mulling over as I continue into this and like start thinking about things a little bit more thoughtfully in the sense of the way that our, the way that our social culture is and, and just the way that I've kind of let myself form beliefs about alcohol, right? Yeah. And, yeah. I actually think actually that's like a major part of my thing too like I, the first one that came to mind was thinking like it's such a special experience for him and I don't want to be the one to be the Debbie Downer mm -hmm. but then also additionally like I'm, I'm imagining there was an, a night recently where we went out and he got something to drink and I was like less cheerful because I wanted that too mm -hmm. and and then I was trying to also not drink because I had had something and and felt really sluggish the next day I, I definitely get more humdrum the next day after I drink even if it's a single glass of wine like I really feel a dip in my energy and happiness mm -hmm. overall so I was like I'm not gonna drink tonight tomorrow and have a great day and then he orders something and I'm like mm, like this is yep. no fun I want to go home well, let's just watch Netflix and go to bed yep. like nope same I've yeah. definitely struggled with that and I, I'm still there it's still difficult I'm I am there are times that I can get over that hump that you're talking about and and feel satisfied that I didn't drink or that I was like with friends and was very present. Um, but there definitely the social aspect of it has changed a lot. Like if I'm not drinking with a friend or with friends and they're drinking, 
I, I want to be in bed watching Netflix by like 10. <laughs> like I have absolutely no real, and I've written about that quite a bit because it's, it's been difficult. Um, and I find that that's really the hardest part. Right. And I think it's the hardest part for anybody that is kind of exploring like what they, what they want out of our kind of our very abundant alcohol culture. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think these conversations are just really important because I think we're covering a lot of things that we don't have the answers to, but we're like in the process of discovering, exploring, and I really admire and appreciate you for coming on and sharing this, even though it is fresh and feeling new and something that you're unpacking, especially since it's been the past three months. So thank you for diving deep into that with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's like the more conversation we have about alcohol and we stop demon, we stop either demonizing it, but it's like both extremes, right? We need to stop demonizing alcohol for people that want to explore not drinking and just immediately label them alcoholics because I don't think mm-hmm. that's fair. But we also need to start stop exoner. Or what's the word? Oh, we need to stop. Um, oh, what word am I thinking of? Uh, praising or glorifying. Thank you. We need to stop glorifying alcohol as well on the other end of the spectrum as though it's the only thing that two people can do together <laughs> because it constantly feels like that's especially in New York. My God, this weekend has been definitely eye opening to me and I'm there's times I'm like, OK, I'm thankful that I left this place because it is so ingrained here. I mean, everything I've done this weekend has involved alcohol and like, yeah. you know, at one point we were dressed shopping for my best friend. Everyone was having mimosa and champagne and I said no and I felt like an outcast and nobody was judging me and I know they really weren't but in my head I was like oh I've made a choice to outcast myself here (laughs) and I don't think that's how it should always be you know I don't know why we formed this way of where it just we have to have a drink at everything yeah it's crazy like there's Mm -hmm. just I, I I think I've had more to drink here in New York City than I have in like any city I've ever mm-hmm. lived in like maybe even throughout the entire summer in Colorado I've had more drinks in this past one month and they're all so delicious and good and I, I will say I have it's not that I've been drunk I've just had like a drink with dinner mm-hmm. or two drinks with dinner and the crazy thing is I can have two drinks at dinner now like two strong cocktails and and not be drunk whereas I used to be such a lightweight so that definitely goes to say something that I have been drinking more since being here because I can have two strong cocktails and not be drunk. Yeah, and well, I, I totally agree. I've, I've struggled with it this entire weekend that I've been back because it's just, it's such a thing, especially because the, when the weather's bad in New York too, <laughs> there's really like not a whole lot for people to do. You know, everyone, all my friends yeah. that live in New York that want to see me and I want to see them. It's all about happy hour. It's all about brunch. And at brunch, of course, there's mimosas or Bloody Mary and that's been eye-opening to me again is it's just like realizing like we we don't even think about it I mean you know a lot of times like I was watching my friends and their husbands or their partners that we're not even thinking about it it's just like bottomless mimosa for the table and I'm sitting there like okay I don't know you know I don't think it's wrong I'm not demonizing it I don't think it's wrong I just am interested that at you know 1 p.m this is what we're doing. And once you kind of make, to me, once I make the choice to start drinking, especially in the day, I'm toast. I'm not going to do anything. Like, I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to sit around and write a blog post. I'm not going to sit and like do, you know, some of my advocacy work that I need to do for freelance writing or this and that. Like the second I start drinking, I'm done. Like my head goes into a different space and I just want to, you know, be merry and socialize and this and mm-hmm. that and this and that. And so I, I and find keep the party going. I, I know I definitely going. do that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, same. And so I find that interesting as well. Mm. Such good stuff. I'm really glad we talked about this. So before we go into the divine deep dive round, um, one, is there anything else that you would like to share with uh, the audience here? Trying to think. Is there anything that you can think of that you... Mm. Um, I think like, I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I, I just, I would like maybe something on compassion, like how you've had compassion for yourself throughout this journey. Yeah, thank you. That's a good one. <laughs> um, I definitely, I feel like I've had, I feel like the more and more that I evolve in recovery and the more and more that I have stopped letting myself think of it as so black and white that I've allowed a lot more compassion to come in to my world. And that was not something that I ever really had before, obviously, because when you're in the eating disorder cycle, there is no compassion because you either do the eating disorder, quote, well for the day, which looks however it looks to you, or you, quote, fail it, right? And I lived my whole life feeling like I just constantly failed myself over these unrealistic expectations of what food or how much food I should have. And as I've, like, watched myself go over or just evolve and and let this kind of recovery take place as it, as it is this kind of for lack of a better word I hate the word journey but let it seep into the way that it's going to look there is a lot more compassion that comes in mm-hmm. and there's a lot more self forgiveness I do forgive myself and it takes a really long time to get there <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I never realized how long it would take to start forgiving myself truly because I thought that I had forgiven myself a couple years ago over some things and over time I've realized that I was still harboring a deep resentment for some of the th- the choices that I made over the years um, some of the, you know maybe whether it was an event that I missed because of my eating disorder or if it was a relationship that I ended prematurely because I had no insight or understanding on how to be an intimate partner with anybody because I, I, I couldn't even, I didn't like myself. How the hell was I supposed to like you mm-hmm. for, longer, for longer than like five minutes? You know, it was just, and that was the way I, I was. I sought validation through other people my entire twenties. Um, I have never, ever been faithful in a relationship until the last couple years because I didn't know how to be. I didn't even know how to be in a serious relationship. I constantly dated addicts. I wanted someone that was as sick as me, but in a different way. And it was just a continuous cycle that went on all throughout college that Marcus makes fun of me about now. <laughs> but but it was it was it's been having to forgive myself for those kind of choices too, because I know that I hurt people. And it was interesting because in New York this time, i uh, I called an ex that I dated for a few months, and this was right after I got out of treatment. Um I was about two or three months out of treatment. And I started dating this guy, and I just, I was too, I was too soon. I think we get out of treatment and we think, oh, I'm cured, right? There's like this like, oh, well, if I went through this much treatment and paid this much for it, then I should be cured. So I'm ready to date. I wasn't ready to date and I had no idea who the hell I was. And I, you know, I hurt him. And so it was really nice because I reached out to him and asked if he would have lunch with me while I was in New York because I'd been holding on to some of the stuff that I did for him or did to him. And we went out to lunch and he absolutely forgave me on the spot. And it was mm-hmm. nice to sit there and be able to own the person that I was back then and, and who she continues to try to be now. So wow. thank you. That's so beautiful. I appreciate yes. hearing that perspective. Yeah. Okay. So the divine deep dive round, these are basically like your quick fire questions. Okay. All right. 
Number one, what is one must-read book everyone needs to go out and get? Ooh, good question. Let me think for a second. One must-read book. That depends. I'm such a. I have. I'm, I'm very weird with my books sometimes. But I, uh, the Bright Light by Nina Riggs is really really great. Um, I read a lot of depressing books. Just to be candid, mm-hmm. I really really enjoy reading books from the perspective of someone that's going through something bigger than I can even comprehend. So whether it's somebody that has, uh, uh, whether it's someone that has like brain cancer or somebody that's that's passing away, I think there's a lot to learn from people that have written memoirs when they know that their life is ending shortly. Um, uh, bright light or yeah, the bright light by Nina Riggs. She's Ralph Waldo Emerson's great, 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 great granddaughter. Um, she passed away in 2016, but she wrote a absolutely beautiful book about being diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. and how she wanted to live the last two years of her life or last year of her life. And there was a lot to learn from that. You know, there's something about that perspective of someone, they know that their time is coming, um, the way that they change their outlook on the world. And to me, it just resonates with me to the way that I want to look at my life because nothing is guaranteed. And now that I went through this eating disorder and went through all the stuff, you know, where I didn't show up for my own life for a lot of years, I, I think about how finite this time on this earth is all the time. It's a constant thought in my head of how finite our time here is and how do you want to live it? <laughs> So yeah, Bright Light by Dina Riggs. It's really that sounds great. amazing. I'm going to definitely put that on the list. Yeah. Okay. Who would you consider or who is um, one of your most influential teachers or mentors? Teachers or mentors. Let me think. Sorry, it's taking me a while. You can You can cut out the pausing right <laughs> yeah but it's totally fine okay cool one of these questions always gets someone it takes them a while yeah it's just i want to be thoughtful about how i respond yeah. to it um one of my top mentors i'm trying to think of someone that's in the recovery community because i'd like to share somebody that's i that i feel Oh, I know someone. Okay. Um, I wonder if you've heard of her. Uh, she does not, she and I have emailed maybe once or twice and, uh, I like fangirled a little bit, but, uh, definitely Holly Whitaker. She is a sober, she's a sober. Oh yeah. I follow her on Instagram. I, I, I really admire her. I admire what she's doing. Um, I admire who she is. I admire the way she writes online. I admire her transparency and I really admire what she's doing with hip sobriety. Um, Mm -hmm. she had an eating disorder as well. And I just, everything she says to me, it's just gold. No, I just think she is so tapped into our culture and what we're doing to ourselves and how women are hurting. You know, she's a, she's very feminist and, Mm -hmm. and she's just, uh, I just, I love following her. I think she is, I mean, I would recommend her to anybody, even if they're not trying to be sober. I think that there's so many lessons to be learned by some of the things that she's doing. What do you want to be praised for more than anything? Transparency and authenticity. Ooh, good uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be praised for necessarily, you know, there's a lot of people like you out there that are doing really fundamental work that need to be done, that you've invested a lot of time and energy. And I always remember that at the end of the day, I am really just a person. I'm not a clinician. I haven't invested 
you know, immense amount of time into any one category, but I do know how to tell my story and I know how to be self-aware enough to tell it in the parts that I'm still struggling in and the parts that I'm still learning about myself. And if it relates to other people, which hopefully it has for quite a few people out there and continues to do throughout the years, um, if I can tell it often, like if I can tell it with that transparency that I've tried to hone and not lose that, then to me, that is, that's the job well done. And that's the mark that I hope to leave for other people. Yeah. I love this. All right. Three more quick fire questions. Cool. Um, what is your favorite meal right now? Ooh, my favorite meal right now. Okay. So favorite meal to cook or favorite meal to order out? (laughs) Mm, Oh, uh, I would just say your favorite meal to eat. Could be either one. (sighs) I am all about sausages right now. (laughs) I love it. I love sausages so much. It's outrageous. My partner gets so annoyed because we have sausages all the time. Do you have a particular but, kind of sausage you love? Oh, God. It, it, chicken and apple sausage is so oh good to me. Like, I just like regular pork sausage. Uh, I'm really into this like kebab thing that I've been doing where it's like uh, I, I, bake, I bake a sausage with – it's like all on a kebab stick, right? And it has a pear with it. And so it's like sausage pear. So you got sweet and savory. Um, and then I, ro- I roast Brussels sprouts around it. And then it has a uh, potato. You can either do like a sweet potato or a white potato that's on there too that I bake it all together. And then you put this like this like jam on top oh of it. Oh, my God. It is so good. I'll send it to you. Oh, and garlic is there. Yes, course. I want oh. this. This sounds amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm in love with that meal right now. But uh, if I'm ordering out, then sushi. I'm a total sausage girl too. I love those. Um, there's like these blueberry sausages. Oh, they're like blueberry breakfast sausages. They're so freaking good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I haven't had them in a long time, but I'm pretty sure they sell them at Whole Foods. I need so, to check that out. Yeah, go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, two more questions. What is your spirit animal? I've always thought of fox. Mm, I love foxes. Yeah, it's funny. My partner and I were just talking about that. But yeah, I think a fox because uh. Foxes are a little bit sly, <laughs> and, and I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I relate to a fox. I like the way that foxes walk mm-hmm. around on this earth. And what is your favorite form of movement? Ooh, nice. Favorite form of movement. You know, it'll always be running. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a balance. It's definitely something I've had to, definitely something I've had to hone over the years and make mm-hmm. sure I'm not overextending, but a good run. Oh my God. I just went on a run this morning actually on, and I, I wanted, I, I purposely chose it that I was going to take the, the subway to the Williamsburg bridge. And so I ran the Williamsburg bridge all the way to the mm. side, which is like a mile and then back. And that was enough for me. I didn't need to run more cause, uh, I just, I have st- had stuff to do, but I needed to have that one run because there's nothing more liberating to me than mm. being on that Williamsburg bridge when the sun's just coming up. Oh, mm. love it. That's a special <laughs> moment. It is. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my God. Like, I have been, I've really been waiting for this to happen for a long time for us to finally I get know. on here. No, thank you. God, thank you for reaching out and talking to me about this. I've wanted to be on your show for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And like, I, I feel that this was divine timing just because, like, we've had so much, like, I'm, I'm with you on this word, but journeying. Mm-hmm. We've had so much that we've gone through. And um, I mean, it's just so crazy that you're in New York City the same time I'm in New York City. It's so wild. I know. Um, I, and that we were in Boulder at the same time. I know. It, like you and Marcus are now in Boulder and I was in Boulder. And I've moved here for the time being. We'll see. Well, not here, here, but I've moved right. 
to be the nomad again for the time mm-hmm. being, but we'll see what happens. Might be back. Who knows? Yeah, I hope you come back, but I love watching where you're going. Thank and it's you. been, it's been just such a pleasure to watch you over the years because you, you know, what you're doing now and the stuff you're writing about now is just so, so great. <laughs> like, I'm just constantly at all every time I read something from you. And I'm like, wow, you are really, you're like pushing yourself out there. It's beautiful. I love watching it. Thank you. And I just realized that this is really one of the first things me and you have come together to create, like no mm-hmm. Marcus involved, no, no, right. like, <laughs> so it's, I think that this is taking us as a, a, our relationship, like to a new level too, of like us being able to come together and really, um, create something powerful and vibe together on our experiences and just like, just me and you. So I find Absolutely. that to be really special as well. Yeah, I do too. And thank you. And thank you for thinking of me for this. You are so welcome. Everyone, you must go check out her blog and her Instagram. I will make sure that I have both of the links to those on the show notes for this episode, number 237. As always, we would love, we would love to know your thoughts. You can go leave your, um, your comments and questions and anything that you may have for Lindsay or I on the show notes for this, but go to maddiemoon.com or go comment on the photo on my Instagram with Lindsay's photo on it and you'll be able to tell us what you thought of this episode love to hear that from you and as always have a wonderful rest of your week and weekend we will see you next Wednesday If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.